We are in the eighth week of our study. How are we doing today? Good. We are in the eighth week of our study through the book of 1 Timothy. Um, we've entitled our series, God's Blueprint for the Church. So if you have your Bible, go with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, I read this week something really interesting and honestly sad from the life of Mark Twain, who was the famous author. And it said this about Mark Twain. It said, church leaders were largely to blame for Mark Twain becoming hostile to the Bible and the Christian faith. As he grew up, he knew elders and deacons who owned slaves and abused them. He heard men using foul language and saw them practice dishonesty during the week after speaking piously in church on Sunday. He listened to ministers use the Bible to justify slavery. Although he saw genuine love for the Lord and Jesus in some people, including his mom and his wife, he was so disturbed by the bad teaching and poor example of church leaders that he became bitter towards the things of God. Leadership in the church is a mighty responsibility. It's a great responsibility. It's a serious responsibility. And just like we saw in the case of, of Mark Twain, people who aren't good leaders, people who aren't godly leaders but take up a position where they're supposed to be a godly leader can really do a lot of harm. And they can cause people to stumble. And so why is leadership so important? Because just like leadership gurus have said for the last few decades, everything rises and falls on leadership. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6 verse 40, he said, The student is not above their teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And so as the leader goes, so go the followers. And so Jesus reminds us as leaders here that we cannot lead somebody beyond where you have been yourself. You're never going to lead someone beyond where you have been yourself. And so when Jesus says that in Luke chapter 6, the custom was for uh, students to follow their teachers around, if that makes sense. Follow them around, do life with them, live with them, learn under them. But at the end of the day, the, the student was never going to know more or be more than what the teacher was. Why? Because they learned everything that they were to learn from that one person. And so here's why leadership in the church is so crucial. Here's why Paul's giving this list of standards and qualification for the leaders or the overseers of the church. Here's why. Because if the pastor, if the elders, if they don't know the way to God, if they don't know the things of God, if they don't know the truth of God, then their people are not going to know the way to God. Their people are not going to know the truth of God. Their people will not be able to experience God the way they should. The people who are under their spiritual care deserve to have a, a pastor or a leader or elders who know the way to God, who know the truth about God. And so today we're going to examine the characteristics of a godly leader, a godly overseer in 1 Timothy chapter 3. What are the qualities that God desires for a leader in the church? You know, oftentimes we mark uh, the success of a leader by how many people he's able to draw or, or how much money does that church have or the charisma or how smart is he, how many books has he written and things like that. But what are the characteristics that God emphasizes, not man, that God emphasizes in the person that he wants to lead his church? First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, read with me. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires what? A noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, 
self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy, excuse me, worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. There's two offices that 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about. Uh, one is the, the uh, deacon. And next week we'll talk about deacons and what uh, deacons are and what are the qualifications of deacons. Um, and we have deacons in our church, and so you're going to want to be here for that. Uh, but this week we're going to focus on what, what Paul is writing to Timothy about here. And that is the, the pastor, the work of the pastor, the work of the bishop of the church, the overseer, the elders of the church. All those words are used interchangeably um, in, in the New Testament. And so the first seven verses here of chapter 3 reflect um, the qualifications of, of a pastor. So I'm going to give you some points today. Now I'm just going to be upfront with you, okay? Are you ready? Lunch today, don't worry. You're going to feed you. Some of you are like, oh man. We're, we're, we're bringing in lunch today. Don't worry. You're going to feed you. No, I promise we're, we're, we're going to get through it, but there are 15 points because that's what Paul gives here, right? And I want to hit each of them. You deserve to hear each of them. We should study each of them, shouldn't we? We should. So number one, pastors are to follow an inner conviction that leads them to serve. All right, kind of piggybacking on what we talked about last week and not to be chauvinistic by any stretch of the imagination, but notice this trustworthy statement that Paul gives here applies to who? It's to, it applies to men, not women. Women, like we said last week, um, are very vital in the church. They're very important in the church. Men have different, they're just as important as the men. Uh, women just have a different role than the men. Men and women have different roles in the church. Men and women have different roles in the home. And so the first requirement of a pastor, an elder, is that he has to be a man by gender. And in our crazy world today, that's not a requirement that, that we take very lightly, is it? Absolutely not. Listen, this word aspires there in the Greek, um, it means to set your heart on something. To set the desires of your heart on something. And so pastors who are called by God desire God to be their treasure. They want God to be their treasure. They want Jesus to be their treasure. It's not about status. It's not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about power. It's not about any of those to making Jesus known. The pastor is tasked, he's responsible, he's accountable to oversee the local church, and he's responsible for the well-being of the local church. And so the word picture here is somebody who has set their heart on seeking this office or this position of pastor. What I want you to hear is, is what he said. Hey, if you desire to be in leadership, you desire to be a pastor, that's a good thing. That's a noble thing to aspire to. So for anybody here who's aspiring to that, I want you to hear that loud and clear. That is a noble thing. It's a good thing, right? Paul says it very clearly here. And as long as your motives are right, there's absolutely nothing sinful about seeking to be an overseer or seeking to be a, a pastor. Now, here's the point. If you have the qualifications that Paul's going to lay out for us today, you should consider seeking this office. Do you hear me on that? If you have the qualifications for this, you need to wrestle with this and see, do you have, all right, if you have the qualifications, 
do you have the desire also to do this as well? Right? Don't miss this, brothers. I want you to hear this. Please lean into this. If you aspire to this office, you want to be a pastor, right, even if you have the qualifications, if for any other reason you want to be a pastor, if it's not for, right, Jesus is your treasure, you want to build up the local body of believers, you want to serve the local body of believers, then you probably have the wrong motives, and you should probably hold off. But if your motives are right and you have the qualifications, then what would hold you back from seeking that? What would hold you back? Right? You might say, well, there's, only, there's already only one pastor in this church. There can be more. You guys hear that? I, I, I'm sure the deacons and right, the, the, the council, whoever, well, whatever we needed to change, if, if we had somebody else who was qualified to it, I would welcome that. I don't want to be the only one who, who, who does that. I'd love to have other brothers who would serve in, in that role with me along, alongside. I think that would be great. I think that would be great for our church. Church would only be served more. It wouldn't be served less. It would be served more, right? So if you have those, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Some of you, God may be dealing with you today on this. Some of you, God may be saying, hey, you have these qualifications, right? Where's your desire at? Right? Again, let me make it very clear. It's not about the title, though. It is about the work. And ministry is work. You guys hear me on that? It is work. And sometimes it's very hard work. Sometimes it's very challenging work. Not so much physically. Some of you are doing very physical jobs. It's not a physically exhausting job. It's a mentally, spiritually, emotionally exhausting job at times. Right? At times. The, the, the question is, are you willing to serve God however God is calling you to serve him? Are you willing to do whatever God is calling you to do? That's what you have to wrestle with. Right? True people who are, are called by God, that they want to serve him and they want to serve his people. One of the foremost characteristics that you would look for if you were hiring a pastor is you would say, do they want to serve God and do they want to serve people? Do they want to serve? Because if they don't want to serve, then they shouldn't be in the pulpit. Right? What's the old saying? Hey, you want to be great? Go grab a broom. Right? You, want to, you have to be marked by service to be in ministry. I want to make something also clear. The pastor isn't so much responsible for the business end of the church, but he's definitely responsible for the spiritual well-being of the church. And so let me ask you, what are you aspiring to? Every single one of you in this church, you're hearing me right now. Man, woman, student, listen carefully. What are you aspiring to spiritually? If you're not thinking along those lines, hey, you're missing out. What, God, what might God be calling you to right now in your life, spiritually? Some of you, I, and I believe this firmly, some of you are not leading in a way that you should be leading right now. There are some people in here who are not doing what they should be doing, what you're gifted to doing. You're just not. Why is that? Right? And so some of you might be aspiring to be a small group leader. That's great. We need more small groups. Some of you might be aspiring to be a deacon or a deaconess. Hey, that's, that's great. Some of you might be aspiring to be a pastor. And let me tell you, again, those things are worthy and those things are notable. By all means, you should continue to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. How is the Holy Spirit leading you right now? Like, what is he calling you to? And, and listen, as your pastor, if God is calling you to any of those kind of things, I, I want to know. I want to come alongside you and try to help you. I want to invest some time in you. 
I want to, 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 to help sharpen you, and you'll help sharpen me as well. But most of all, listen, if you're aspiring to leadership in the church, you need to make sure right now, up front, you are using the gifts that God has given you already. Don't seek the office or the title or the position if you're not already using the gifts that God has given you already. You need to be faithful with the gifts that God has given you already. If you're in here today, I want you to understand something and hear something. We need you at New Beginnings. Like, you are needed at New Beginnings. If you're drawing air this morning in this room, you are needed here at New Beginnings. We need men and we need women who are aspiring towards leadership in the church. Why? Because you're the backbone to helping to build the church up. You are the backbone of the church. It's not just one person. It's all of us together. We need leaders who are willing to step up. What I want you to know is at the end of the day, only the Holy Spirit can truly call people to ministry. Only the Holy Spirit is going to call you towards pastoral ministry, right, and task somebody with that. Number two, I promise we'll go a little bit faster in some of these, okay? So you might be scared. 15 points, one took a little bit longer. We need to set it up. Number two, pastors have to be above reproach. You probably heard it said a good reputation is earned in years and it's lost when? In a moment. It's lost in a moment. And so how true is that statement? It's very true. The word uh, approach there, uh, reproach, means not able to be held. Right? It also means to be blameless. Uh, it doesn't mean that the, the pastor is perfect because no person is pers- perfect except for the senior pastor of every church, which is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who is perfect. And so it means that this person lives in a way where they would be blameless in front of God. It would be blameless in front of God, right, at judgment. He's not giving the enemies of himself. He's not giving the enemies of the church an opportunity to cast stones at the church or the ministry of the church. I love the word from J. Vernon McGee about this. He said, the thing that must be understood is that you're always going to be blamed for things if you hold an office, any office, in the church. What is more important is that the accusation must not be true. An elder has to be blameless in the sense that he will not be found guilty of anything of which he might be accused. There was a story of a, a young pastor who had just gotten an opportunity to lead in a bigger church in Chicago. And so this uh, more seasoned other pastor came to visit this, this new young pastor in this church. And so the seasoned pastor, he said, how do you like being this pastor in this great new church? How do you like it? And so the young pastor said, well, it's a great opportunity, but I'm kind of finding myself in a difficult situation here. He said, I'm accused of a lot of things. I'm accused of not being able to teach as good as the last guy or not being as uh, sharp or not being as knowledgeable or not being as whatever. And he says, I can't defend myself. And so he said, I can't spend all my time trying to deal with the different accusations that are coming my way. And so I've just decided I'm just going to preach God's word and I'm going to let God handle those people. And so the more seasoned pastor speaking to the younger pastor said, just be happy that the things that you're being accused of are not true. Right? It's, that's the position you want to be in. Right? People are going to, if you're in any kind of leadership in the church, in, in life in general, right? Right? If you've ever been a leader in anywhere at your job, you know there's always going to be somebody who's going to have something negative to say. What you always want to make sure is that it's not true. Right? You always want to make sure that it's not true. You can be accused, but you don't want to be guilty. 
John MacArthur rightly points out that pastors have to take a really great care to amain above reproach for a few reasons. First, pastors are always a special target of Satan. Right? They're always a special target of Satan. Right? Satan is always going to come after them with more severe temptations than maybe other people. Why? Because pastors are going to be on the front lines. They're the ones that they, the enemy knows if he can get this one, then he can cause a lot of problems that will have a ripple effect, if that makes any sense. Second, their, their fall has a greater potential for harm. Satan, Satan knows that when the shepherd falls, the, the impact to the sheep is going to be big. It's going to be huge. It's going to be devastating. Third, leaders have a greater knowledge of the truth. It's one thing that I consistently try to teach you in here or on Wednesday nights when we're in our small group is that once you learn the truth, you are now what? Accountable. You are accountable. Once you hear the truth and you learn the truth, God will hold you accountable to it. Leaders have a greater understanding of the truth, which means they have a greater understanding that they are going to be held accountable to it. Does that make sense? Fourth, leaders' sins are more hypocritical than anybody else's. Why? Because they preach against those sins. So it's even more hypocritical when a pastor falls. Why? Because they preached against it. And so, friend, let me ask you personally, is there any area of your life where the enemy could capitalize against you? Any area where the enemy is looking at you saying, I can't wait to attack you here. Are you seeking to live above reproach? That call is not just for pastors to live above, above reproach, but believers have to live above reproach. Are you striving every single day to honor Christ with your life, with your words, with your actions? See, godly leaders will either pull people in with how they model the gospel, with how they model and live out the mercy and grace of Christ, or they will push people away with their sinful lifestyle. Number three, Pastors have to be a one-woman man. This one's gotten some theologians into some debates over the years because uh, some think that it means that all pastors have to be married, and that's not true. We know that would have disqualified Paul. It would have disqualified Timothy. It would have disqualified Jesus because none of them were even married, right? And so it, it can't mean that. Some, some, mean, some scholars have said that it means that a pastor could never have been divorced before, but it's also very important that we differentiate a man before he became a Christian and what happened in his life before he became a Christian versus what happened in his life since he's become a Christian, right? Because why? Because that's not them anymore. It's a completely new person. And so an otherwise qualified person should not be excluded from church leadership because of their actions prior to coming to know the Lord. Are you with me? The main meaning here is that he has to be faithful to his wife. He has to be a one-woman man. He has to be totally devoted to his wife, singularly devoted to his wife. His affections can only be for his wife. He must be sexually pure in his thoughts and in his actions alone when it comes to his wife. And so to violate that means that you forfeit being blameless. No doubt some of the reasons that Paul lists this is because pastors are very prone to stumbling in this area. I can't tell you how many pastors I've known personally, how many pastors we, you've all heard about who have stumbled over the years in this one area. Why? Because pastors minister to men and they minister to who? Women. Just like Paul did, right? We minister to both. 
And it's in this context where you're ministering that people are vulnerable, if that makes sense. So the opportunity, if it, it, listen, if the pastor is not walking in the strength of God, if he's not walking in the power of God, if he's not functioning with the wisdom of God, he's very prone to stumbling to this temptation. Does that make sense? Why? Because people are vulnerable. And so you can rightly see why Paul addresses it here. And so I want to ask my married friends in the room here today, are you a one-woman man? Are you a one-man woman? Are you faithful to your spouse with the things that you watch? Are you faithful to your spouse with the way that you think and what you're thinking about? Are you faithful with how you speak about your spouse to people that you work with or people that you hang out with? Are you faithful to, to your spouse with what you say about them when they're not around? Number four, pastors have to be temperate. Right? This speaks of a man who has a clear head. Right, Overseeing the work of a church requires somebody who's going to be clear-headed. Okay, A pastor has to be calm. He can't be someone who's jumping from thing to thing to thing and just kind of all over the place. He has to be steady. You have to know what you're going to experience with him when you sit down with him for coffee or he gets up to preach. You've got to know, hey, what, what, what am I going to get with this person? You should know what you're going to get with that person because they're the same. They're steady. A pastor has to be someone who gets up in the morning and says yes to Jesus, says yes to the Holy Spirit, submits his life to them every morning. Why? Because the enemy is firing arrows every single day at everybody, but especially the pastor. Right? He's coming after the pastor's, excuse me, he's coming after the pastor's mind. He's coming after the pastor's eyes. He's coming after the pastor's heart. He's coming after the pastor's ears. He's coming after those things. Why? Because he wants to remove the affection that the pastor has for Christ and replace it with something else. Just like you, right? Pastors are no different. And so we guard our hearts well by guarding our minds, by guarding our eyes, and by guarding our ears. That's how we guard our heart. Dr. Martin, Lloyd, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this. He said the great need in the church or in the Christian life is for self-discipline. And self-discipline isn't something that happens to you in a training or in a meeting. It's something that you have got to do. Right? You want to be disciplined. It's not going to happen because you just come and sit here and listen to a sermon on, on discipline. And you go, okay, now I'm self-disciplined. No, self-discipline happens every morning waking up and disciplining yourself in the things of God. But you have to be disciplined in the things of God, friends. Right? You're, you're not just going to come in here and hear a sermon and then go, okay, now I understand. Now I can read my Bible every day. No, you, you, you get self-disciplined in reading your Bible by reading your Bible. Like, just open it up. Understand it or not. Trust the Holy Spirit. He'll reveal it to you. But you have to be self-disciplined. You are 100% responsible to self-discipline, but you are also 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit for self-discipline. Meaning, you can't, you're responsible for it, but you can't do it on your own. You need God to help you with this. And so let me just ask you, how steady are you? How consistent are you in the things of God? Can other people count on you? Can other people count on you that you will be self-disciplined in the things of God? Number five, pastors have to be self-controlled. 
Right? He has to be serious about his work. He has to be serious that he is going to give an account to God for the things that he said, for the things that he did, for the things that he didn't say, for the things that he didn't do. Pastors have to be serious about God. They've got to be serious about the church. Let me ask you, how serious are you about God? How serious are you about the church? What's your schedule say about that? Pastors have to be respectable. Number six, the basic meaning of the Greek word there is that it means that he has to be orderly, right? The pastor should, should be respectable in the way that he lives, in the way that he thinks, in the way that he teaches. God is a God of order, isn't he? God of order. From the very beginning, go back to Genesis, you see that there's an order to everything that God does. And so the man of God is to imitate God and all the things that he does to be a God of order, to be a man of order. Number seven, pastors have to be hospitable. This means that the pastor has to be generous, he has to be welcoming, he has to be cordial, he has to be accepting to people who visit the church or visit his home, anybody who's in need. The pastor is supposed to try to help. Why? Because in that day and age, 2,000 years ago, could you imagine a pastor who wasn't hospitable trying to share the gospel? Then not, right? Being hospitable is going to open more doors for you to sharing the gospel than not being hospitable. Does that make sense? So especially 2,000 years ago, you, hey, you needed that, but you also need it here today. Hospitable means that you will give practical help to anybody who's in need. Number eight, pastors have to be able to teach. They have to be able to teach. That's an important qualification, and it's probably the only non-character qualification that Paul lists here. And so since the pastor is charged with handling the word of God every single week, the pastor has to have the ability to make the truths of God known to his people. Does that make sense? He, he has to be able to say, this is true and this is false. He has to be able to do that. Now, the teaching style is going to be different from church to church. It's why you hear people on the radio and you go, wow, that person sounds great. That person sounds great. You know, this is whatever. And you like different styles. Everyone's going to have a different style of teaching. The one thing that has to mark every single pastor is that pastor has to be able to say, that's true. That's the, this is what God's word says. This is what God's word doesn't say. Truth from error. He has to be able to do, discern that and know that. It doesn't necessarily mean that he has to have a ton of knowledge. But it does mean that the things that he knows, he's able to communicate well. Does that make sense? Are you with me tracking? I'm looking at a lot of blank faces today. Right? But, but I, I, I want to make sure that you're here today. Number nine. Pastors can't be mastered by alcohol. Paul makes that clear. This is an opportunity for us to kind of give our, our church's stance, our church's position on the subject of drinking alcohol. And at New Beginnings, I believe we take a biblical approach to drinking, and that's that it's not a sin to drink alcohol necessarily. Jesus drank wine. The early church used wine in the Lord's Supper. But pastors, and I will tell you this, pastors, and this is kind of, kind of my opinion, Pastors should be people who avoid alcohol altogether or be people who at the very least, they limit their intake of alcohol at the very least. Why? Because pastors can't be mastered by anything. Pastors also should never be a stumbling block to somebody else who may struggle with alcohol, right? In that day and age, 2,000 years ago, it was probably a lot easier for someone to be mastered by alcohol than it is today in ministry. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, there was a, you know, ba there's bacteria. And 
what it would make people sick to their stomach if they drank the wrong water from time to time. And so one of the things, we even see Paul tell Timothy, drink some wine. Why? It'll help calm your stomach down. But it'll help deal with what's going on in your stomach, help kill that, that bacteria that's in your stomach. Pastors cannot be mastered by anything other than the Holy Spirit. Period. Believers shouldn't be mastered by anything other than the Holy Spirit. Right? Ooh, I don't, only one? Right? Amen? Amen? Amen. Listen, alcohol is a major stumbling block. Substances are a major stumbling block to a lot of people. And so pastors, listen, they have to set the example for moderation if they're choosing to drink, or they have to set the example in abstaining if they believe that it could cause a, be a stumbling block to somebody else. Pastors have to set the example. Number 10, pastors can't be violent, but they have to be gentle. Right, literally, this means that this one shouldn't be looking for a fight. Pastors should not be people who are looking for leaders for that matter. Right? They should be people who are trying to be gentle. Pastors and church leaders, for that matter, have to set the example in being someone who strives for peace, being a peacemaker. When, when, when believers are gathered together, when we have all these personalities in the, in the church, you're, from time to time, you're going to get people who what? Butt heads. The pastor has to set the example for how to be a peacemaker. Is every pastor going to do that perfectly? No. But we have to try to set the example for, for, for living at peace with everyone as Scripture commands us. Somebody who's violent would be somebody who said, that would tell us about them, that they have a lot of room to grow spiritually. Right? Someone who's violent, that tells me you have a lot of room to grow spiritually. Jesus wasn't a violent man. Spiritually mature men and spiritually mature women are not looking to get even with other people. They look for God to handle whatever's happening with those that they disagree with or those who are trying to fight with them. The question is, are you trusting God to deal with your enemies who wrong you? Pastors also have to be gentle on the other side of that. Right? In ministry, you're going to get attacked from time to time. I don't care if you're a small group leader, a deacon, if you're a worship guy, it doesn't matter what you're doing whatever position of leadership, just ask anybody who's in leadership right now. Right? Cedric's had his going to attack time. I know Barry's had his time. There's been, Jim's had, there's been times where people are going to attack you. In some seasons, it's greater than other seasons. Not everyone's going to like you if you want to strive to be in leadership. Everybody with me on that? Not everyone's going to like you if you're going to be a small group leader. Not everyone's going to like you if you're going to be a worship leader. Not everyone's going to like you if you're going to be a deacon. Not everyone's going to like you if you're going to be a pastor. Right? You want to be liked by everybody, go work at Baskin Robbins. you got tons of flavors. Right? A flavor for everybody. You're not going to be able to please everybody. You can't please everyone. You have to be gentle sometimes even when you deliver harsh truth. Even if you have to confront somebody in sin. Here's a good Even if you have to deal with people who are attacking you, you still have to be gentle. Here's a good illustration of gentleness that should characterize a pastor. It was by a, another pastor, his name was uh, Richard Dunigan, and he said this. He said, at their school carnival, our kids won four free goldship, uh, goldfish. Lucky us. And so I went out Saturday morning to find an aquarium. The first few I, f I, f I found ranged from 40 to $70. Then I spotted it right in the aisle, a discarded 10-gallon display tank, complete with gravel and filter for only five bucks. Sold. Of course, it was nasty and dirty, but the savings made the two hours of cleanup a breeze. Those four new, too bad, right in their new home. 
at least for the first day. But by Sunday, one of them had died. Too bad, but three remained. Monday morning revealed a second casualty. And by Monday night, a third goldfish had already gone belly up. And so I called in an expert, a member of our church who had a 30-gallon tank in his own home. And it didn't take him long to discover what the problem was. I had washed the tank with soap, and that is an absolute no-no. My uninformed efforts had destroyed the very lives I was trying to protect. What's the point of that? Sometimes, as we're trying to help other people clean up their lives, we can use killer soaps, condemning people, condemnation, right? Nagging people, fits of temper, criticizing people overtly, right? Uh, sometimes we think that we're doing the right thing, but you're actually destroying. You're actually doing more danger. You're actually doing more harm. See, a shepherd has to be gentle with their sheep. Not that he never should correct. He has to correct. Not that he shouldn't, right, be direct, but he has to be direct, but he also has to be gentle. So the question I ask for you is, are you gentle? Are you gentle? Are you violent? Are you growing in Christ's likeness in gentleness? Are you trying to come, overcome evil with good? Number 11, pastors can't be quarrelsome. Way. Right, he shouldn't be marked by stubbornness. He shouldn't be marked by always having to have his own way. He has to allow other opinions to speak into situations. His opinion can't be the only one that ever matters or the only one that ever counts. He's got to be able to get along with other people. So how well do you get along with other people? Number 12, pastors can't be lovers of money. This is another one that's tripped up a lot of pastors over the years. Pastors are just like anybody else. We've established that. And pastors can be tempted just like anybody else can. And so it's one of the reasons ever since I was a youth pastor, 22 years old, I remember another pastor telling me, pastors don't touch the money. Right? Pastors should not handle the money. Right? Let other people take it. Let other people pay it. Let other people distribute it. Let other people be responsible for it. Why? You remove that temptation right off the bat. That's one thing where the enemy is not going to be able to come after you for because you have nothing to do with it. And I think that's the way we established it at our church. I think the previous pastor was the same way, right? He didn't touch the money. He didn't handle the money. Somebody else was responsible for that. And praise God, we have, you know, Wendy. Uh, she's, she's fantastic with handling our money, and our church council kind of oversees that as well. Um, and so we, we I, I, don't have, I don't have access to the money. I want you to understand that. Pastors shouldn't. Right? They, shouldn't have, they don't have to do that. They don't have to have that burden on them, and they don't have to have their, the, be, the, be open to temptation in that regard. Pastors also shouldn't be materialistic. Right? It shouldn't be about just having you know, all, all, all the best stuff. And so when I ask you, how about you? You struggle with loving money? You struggle with materialism? Right? That has to be something that if that you struggle with that, you gotta, hey, you've got to put that to death. That's got to be put to death. Number 13, we're almost there, I promise. Pastors have to manage their households well. Let's read it. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, then how can he take care of God's church? So we have to ask, how is the pastor's family? Right? Is there evidence of obedience in the lives of the children? Are they taught to be obedient? Are they taught to want to, to love and serve the Lord? You don't have to be a while, a, around the, the best, well-trained, best-behaved child 
to realize, you don't have to be around them long to realize, hey, that no child is perfect. Right? No person is perfect. And so we're not talking about does the pastor have perfect kids. We are talking about is it evident in their life that they've been taught and they are expected to obey. Are they expected to obey? Again, it doesn't mean that the pastor is not going to have problems with his family from time to time. Right? We're all prone to problems. But the key is how is he dealing with those problems? Right? Is he just shrugging his shoulders and saying, oh, well. You know, I, I, I can't wait till they turn 18 and they're out of here. Right, that's, that's kind of a bozo statement. You don't want to say something like that, right? Paul comments on this verse in verse 5 by noting a man who can't handle his own family isn't going to be able to handle God's church. Why? Because leading of the church is so much in, in so many situations like a father leading his children or like a husband leading his wife. And if he can't do it at home, he ain't going to be able to do it here. Number 14, pastors have to be mature in the faith. Paul said he can't be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Sometimes in our churches we're guilty of putting new believers in positions of leadership way too soon. They haven't been proven, they haven't been tested, they haven't shown enough evidence, but sometimes churches put new converts in roles before they should be. And so as a church, we have an obligation to make sure that people who become Christians in our church are discipled well, trained well, and built up before we put responsibility of leadership on their shoulders. It doesn't matter how much gifting it seems like that person might have. Oh, man, this person is really sharp. Just because someone's sharp, just because someone has a great role, doesn't necessarily mean that they should lead in the church just yet. Let's let them prove it. Let's... Look at their life. Let's measure what's going on in their life. Let's look at the evidence of their life. Paul warns that a new uh, convert may become proud like the devil, and he may experience the same judgment. You know, humility would be the opposite of that, right? And humility comes from the more time you spend with God. The more time you spend with God, the more humble you're going to become. Why? Because the more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you're in his word, the more you're going to be aware of your sin and your shortcomings and your failures. The more you're going to realize how much you don't know, how weak you really are. Humility comes the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to grow in humility. Humble people know that the good things they have in life come from God alone. They don't come because, oh, yeah, I worked hard and that's why I got it. No. Yeah, you worked hard, but God gave it to you. God blessed you with it. And it's, again, the good things that we have in life is not because of us, but it's because of the grace and mercy in our lives. Right? Humble people would believe, as Jonathan Edwards once said, that you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary in the first place. And so a pastor certainly can't be someone who's brand new to the faith. It doesn't matter how well at, they, are, they are at public speaking or anything like that. Otherwise, they're going to be tempted to an even greater degree to give in to pride and to give in to arrogance. It's been said that the greatest danger to a young pastor is the praise of the church. Some pastors really do live for the praise of their people, right? And it's a trap. It really is. It's a trap. Uh, not that it's wrong for a pastor to ever be told, hey, good job, or hey, we're thankful for you, or something like that. But when the praise of man becomes the goal, instead of that praise going where it belongs, which is Jesus, now we got a problem with the pastor. His head's too big for anybody else. 
Can't be like that. What does pride do? Pride always chokes. Anything that it indwells, pride is always going to choke it. Lastly, this morning is this. Number 15. Pastors have to have a good reputation outside the church as well as inside the church. He said he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Somebody who has a poor reputation in the community is going to struggle to bring others to Christ like they should. And so a man who has a poor reputation in the community because they've been given over to sin or to a sinful lifestyle or anything like that, they're probably going to have a hard time reaching other people with the gospel. See, the devil is always about trying to steal people's testimonies. Did you know that? Right? Not just the pastor, but you too. The devil wants to, to wreck your testimony. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants, to, he wants you to leave doors open so he can come in and accuse you. That's what he loves to do. You look in scripture, the, the, the devil loves to accuse people. So the question is, are you seeking to live a beautiful life in front of the people who are saved and in front of the people who are lost? Right, as we've talked about the role of a pastor today, we've looked at some of the characteristics that a pastor should have. And, and there's other places, like if you look in Titus, there's other places where you see qualifications of, of a pastor and so on and so forth. But what we see here this morning, and I want to sum it up this way, is that character counts. Character counts. A pastor's got to have character. So if you're, if you're, if you're uh, wanting to, to, to be in church leadership, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I really want to be a, a pastor one day. Hey, God bless you. I'm grateful for that. Man, make sure you're, you're focusing on your character. Young people, right? Where are my young people at? Young people, worry about your character. Your character counts more than anything else. Your character counts more than how much money you have, whatever job you get in life, wherever you go to college or school, who you marry. Character counts. It matters. Who are you when nobody else is looking? That's, that's what matters. I want you to listen to these wise words of Robert Murray McKeon. And he said this to one of his young students. He says, I know you will apply hard to German, but don't forget the culture of the inner man. He says, I mean of the heart. How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his sword clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember this. You are God's sword, his instrument, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents that God blesses so much, as much as it is the likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an amazing weapon in the hand of God. And so listen, our, our, our study has been directed at the qualifications of pastor. The qualifications, though, that we've talked about have to be what everybody is striving for. It can't just be one person striving for it or someone who's, who's, who's wanting to, to be a pastor one day. It has to be everybody. Everybody's got to say, I want to grow in that. I want to grow in that. I want to grow in that. So my prayer is that we would be a church that's growing in these things. Amen? I want to be a church that's growing in these things. I want to be a church that's marked by godly leadership. We want more godly leaders here at New Beginnings. Do you hear me on that? You may be here today and you're like, hey, I'm not a leader yet. Some of you may not be leaders yet. We want you here. Amen? Like the leaders of this church want more godly leaders. So if that's you, 
praise God, whatever God's leading you right to right now, we want you here, you're needed here, hear me on that loud and clear. But brothers and sisters, let's make sure our character counts first. Character has to be tested. Character has to be observed. Right? We're going to see that next week when we talk about deacons. Right? It says that deacons have to be tested. Same way, pastors have to be tested. Before I became a pastor, I had to sit in a room with pastors and some of our deacons here, even at this church, and had to take questions. I think I wrote like a 20-page paper or something like that, Barry, with all my theological points and everything, something like that. Barry was one of the guys. Um, and I remember that like yesterday. Uh, but pastors have to be tested. Deacons have to be tested. Leaders have to be tested. Why? Because there's too much at stake for it not to happen. Are you with me? All right. Let's pray. 44 minutes. You made it. I think that's a record. 15 points in 44 minutes. It's incredible. Let's, let's pray and let's talk to the Lord. God, you are so good. And God, you're so faithful. You're big. You're mighty. You're holy. We trust what you say because of your holiness. We know that you're good because of what your word says and how your word reveals who you are to us. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being so kind and so gracious. Thank you for your mercy that's new this morning that we get to experience. Thank you that you are a God of love, that you are love. Love is not you, but you are love. God, we thank you for that. Lord, we continue to thank you for all the different ways that you met our needs this week. How you cared for us this past week, you provided for us. Lord, I thank you that you brought these people here, the, our church family here, every single person who's here, whether it's their first time or their, you know, uh, 10,000 time coming. Lord, I'm just thankful for everybody who's here. Lord, everybody who came here today came because you brought them here to hear this. Lord, that we would, be, we would grow in this, that we would um, repent of the things that we need to repent of. So, God, we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for what you've done in us this past week. We thank you for our growth, growth in our, in our lives, Lord, that we can look back on our lives and we can say, well, I'm not the same person uh, that I was yesterday. I'm not the same person I was last year. I may have a lot of room to grow, but I'm not the same. And, God, that's because of your Holy Spirit in us, and so we thank you for that. Lord, I know this past week, I know even in my own life, in the life of our church, Lord, we, we, we sinned. We did things that separated us from you. We did things that offended you. We did things that uh, hurt your heart. We thought things that hurt your heart. We said things that hurt your heart. And so, Lord, on behalf of our church of New Beginnings, Lord, we're, we're confessing our sin right now, saying, Lord, we're, we're sorry. And, Lord, we repent of that. Lord, help to continue to make us a more pure and holy church. Help us to recognize sin a lot sooner than we oftentimes do. Lord, we pray for, for the future leaders of this church. Lord, I pray for the people who are here right now, that, Lord, I know in this room that, Lord, you're, you're raising some to maybe be a small group leader. You're raising some to be a deacon. You're raising some to maybe even be a pastor. Lord, how awesome is that? Lord, we're, we're grateful for that. Lord, I know I can look at some of, the, some of the people who are here and say, certainly you should be a small group leader. Certainly you should be a deacon. Certainly you, should, you, you could even be a pastor. Lord, I'm thankful for that, that you have brought these people here, that you're working in them, that you're growing them, that you're sharpening them. 
Lord, we just pray that you would just continue to raise them up. Lord, help us to, as the current church leaders, help us to uh, be available to help sharpen other, other brothers and sisters, uh, to help other people grow, to be praying for them, to be an encouragement to them. Lord, aspiring to, to leadership is beautiful. It's what Paul said. It's a, it's a good thing. And so, Lord, we want that. We, we want this good thing. We want people to experience it. But, Lord, we know, first and foremost, you want people who are of character, of high character. So, God, help us all to realize character counts, character matters. Right? We, we, we have to have character. We have to have God-like, Christ-like character. God, that's only going to happen through your Holy Spirit. So, God, we pray for a movement of the Spirit in our lives to help us to grow in that. Lord, I thank you for all the young people who are here. For the young people who, who hear, what, what should a pastor look like? This may not be their church for the rest of their lives. Some of them may grow up and some of them may uh, move on and have a family and, and, and be in a different city. But, Lord, they've heard today, they should know, hey, this is, this is what I should look for in a pastor. This is what a pastor should look like. So, God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these young people. Lord, I pray that you would just bless them and protect them, protect their minds, protect their hearts, protect their eyes, protect their ears. Lord, the enemy is firing darts at our young people, and maybe in, in different ways that we've never seen before. Lord, I pray for these parents who are trying to model the gospel and point their kids to Jesus. Lord, I pray for endurance. I pray for wisdom. I pray for patience. I, let, I pray that they would be marked by the same things that mark you, Jesus. Grace and love and mercy. Lord, help us. Help us all, Lord. And the things that we didn't ask for, the things that we don't even know, Right, Lord, we know we know we need healing in different places and different people in our church. So, Lord, we pray for that healing to happen. God, for the things, again, that we didn't ask for, we, we didn't know, we didn't think to ask, or I didn't think to ask, Lord, I pray that I just know how good you are, that you meet our needs even when we don't even ask. And so, God, we're just, just thankful for that. Lord, be with us now as we uh, aim to, to worship you and ascribe your worth to you. Uh, Lord, here at this moment, Lord, we pray that it would be beautiful and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.